It's a jackalope carnival. Jack, jack, jackalope. Jackalope carnival. Hi, I'm Becca. Hi, I'm Eric. And you're listening to the inaugural episode of Jackalope Carnival, a sideshow of stories, a bi-weekly podcast where we explore the paranormal, the unusual, and the downright odd. How are you today, Eric? I'm doing great. You know why? Why? I want to go to a Jackalope Carnival because that <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun. It does. I'm pretty excited about this first episode. Me too. This is uh, really a show where I think we'll get to talk about things that, well, we've been talking about for years now. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while because we both share a background in talking about religion, belief, and also about history. And so since we like to talk about both of those things and have background in them, we thought what a fun thing to share with other people. And I hope so. I hope so. And I think it will be. It'll at least be fun for us. <laughs> That's true. And so... We not only like that, but as a sort of hobby, we both like watching television shows. We've enjoyed watching things like X-Files, like Star Trek. In um, search of my favorite TV show. We decided for our first episode that we were going to talk about cryptids. As we named our show, Jackalope Carnival, after my favorite cryptid. And it's not a true cryptid, but I'm going to talk about it today. I like and that Eric, phrase, true cryptid. <laughs> Eric, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about a true cryptid. Which is, it's so funny to talk about true cryptid versus, because the whole nature of, of cryptids, of course, is that the, uh, the, the existence of the animal is uh, <laughs> exactly, and now we're like orthodox on the cryptid orthodoxy. <laughs> I am holding the, I am holding the dogma, the official dogma of the cryptid. You must obey. <laughs> so, yeah. but that's okay. No, I think this will give our 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 listeners a chance if they decide. So, I would say that yours is more of a true cryptid, and mine. You can decide. And that's the beauty of this, that if there is or if there isn't, or if you feel like we're being completely silly, even saying that phrase, true cryptid. And that's up to everybody to decide. I'm just going to report the facts on the jackalope as I know them. And let me be clear about something. I love jackalopes. There's it, So my first question about jackalopes, even though I do love them and I think they're wonderful, is jackalope a plural and singular word itself? Is it jackalope? Or jackalopes for the plural? You know, I'll be honest. I was trying to decide this, and I did not do my research on the plural or not of jackalopes. So you're asking, is it like octopi or octopuses? Which, by the way, octopuses is the correct term on that one. How about that? Or is it like deer, where it's both singular and plural? I think it might be jackalopes, but I don't know. But I like jackalai. Now I just want to say jackalai. <laughs> I'm going for it. Jackalai. Jack -a -la 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 -la. <laughs> no. Yeah, All right. Sorry. So um, I love Mothman, but like I said, my, my favorite cryptid has to be the jackalope. And the reason is because I feel like I have a personal relationship and I have a personal story from childhood of why I love jackalopes. Are you um, here to tell us about your personal relationship with jackalope? Yeah, when I found jackalope. No, but... <laughs> Um, actually, I was thinking more like like personal confessions. Are we going to you know harken back to the 1950s? And Jackalope, no. Yeah. When I was seven, um, for some reason, my parents decided to move from Orange County, California to Jefferson County, Idaho. So this was a big jump and a culture shock for me as a seven-year-old. Hmm, that's like the premise of a television show. Yeah, a sad, sad, lonely <laughs> TV Aww. show. Um, specifically, we lived in a majority LDS town, and it was founded as an LDS town called Rigby, Idaho. And if we're talking about LDS, just for folks who may not know. Mormons. So the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right, Latter-day Saints. So this would have made sense if we were Mormon, but we weren't. And so my parents moved me from Orange County, California, to this small town of, I think at the time it had not quite 2,000 people. Uh, I believe now it might have 4,000. So the small town of Rigby, Idaho. 
And it wasn't a spectacularly diverse town at that time. Probably isn't now, to be fair. But um, I was the new kid, and I came from California, and I was a little bit weird to everybody. So I had no friends. I was making no friends in small town Idaho, a social pariah. And school was a little bit hard because of this, but I loved books. And so being bookish and avoiding recess where I knew I was going to have to face being teased by other kids, I went to the library because that was my safe space. So is this the school where the music classes had you singing Marty Robbins El Paso? Absolutely. Down in the West Texas. Yes, El Paso. And so <laughs> that, that really happened, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was our music class. Um, we sang The Gambler, uh, Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. Um, so it, I do, in fact, know all the words to Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. And, you know, there's a real movement to make education more practical. And what could be more <laughs> practical than teaching kids, you know, when to know to hold them and when to know to fold them? When to walk away and, and when to run. Because <laughs> you can't count your money while you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. Absolutely. Oh, Idaho. Oh, Idaho. I think you just tested me on that. Did you just try to test me on you're like, do and, you do you know the words? And you passed. You passed with <laughs> flying you. colors. You you got your, your Idaho certificate, don't you? Yeah. So this is just a little slice of life of Idaho for those of you who don't know its charms. Um, and this story. I love Idaho, I, by the way. It's beautiful. I mean, like it, it is honestly I've one done of the a most bunch beautiful of camping. places I've been. Yeah. In the uh, Tetons and it's just gorgeous. Life there as a small child for me wasn't rosy, but it is a beautiful state. Um, so the reason I was telling you about this library is because when I got into the library, I was just like, yes, safe. Um, but when I looked on the wall above me to my absolute horror mounted on what should have been my sanctuary was the taxidermied head of a two-headed calf. Which maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but I was from California. I hadn't seen a lot of taxidermy double-headed cows or taxidermy in general. It was um, pretty shocking. Now, this was the principal's taxidermy two-headed cow head, and he put it up because it was born on his ranch. And he thought to himself, I'm sure, you know, these don't usually live very long. And he thought that it would be fun for the kids. So I'm terrified and nobody in small town Idaho bats an eye because taxidermy is actually pretty normal out in the West. And um, before we were going to record this, I asked a friend, because it's been a while since I've been out in uh, Idaho, and I asked a friend who's from Montana and just came back recently and she said, yeah, it's pretty much still taxidermy all over like just random taxidermy like their taxidermy like you know you buy a fish from the supermarket and you no you'd fish you'd, these would be more of hunting trophies and stuff got it got it we'll get here a little bit more about the taxidermy but jackalopes um so we saw taxidermy a lot my parents would frequently take me on road trips on the weekends. So we were actually, we had a Honda Civic and I was sitting in the back of that thing, uh, listening to books on tape for a long time. But we would drive all over Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, visiting friends and people. We'd stop at a roadside cafe now and again and touristy coffee shops. And almost all of those shops had various taxidermy critters so deer squirrel raccoons bobcats and of course jackalopes and i've seen living deer squirrels and raccoons but never bobcats or a jackalope so i was like i want to see a bobcat and i want to see a jackalope while i'm out here and in case you're not familiar with what a jackalope is um and I can't imagine you wouldn't be, but a jackalope is a jackrabbit head, uh, sometimes not always a jackrabbit, I've seen other rabbits, with small deer or antelope horns. So you're like, wait, wouldn't they be jackalope horns? Unfortunately, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so pretty much, this is a little kid's dream. This is majestic horned rabbit. You know, unicorns have horns, jackalope have horns. And one day, while we were leaving a restaurant with a particularly lively jackalope specimen, I asked my mom, I said, um, hey, mom, when do you think I'll see a real life jackalope? And she looked at me and I'll never forget the look on her face. She was confused with a slight bit of pity. And she said, 
Rebecca, jackalopes aren't real. <laughs> and I was not sad, though. I was mad. I was angry. I thought my mom wasn't very bright because I could clearly see them everywhere. Mom, you might be missing something. She explained to me that jackalopes were a legend to play a joke on tourists. And what I was seeing was a trick of taxidermy. Um, the jackalope was just an ordinary rabbit with deer, again, or antelope, <laughs> antlers attached to them and mounted. And that really, really upset me. And actually, I'm going to laugh because when we were talking about me doing this episode, she let me in on a secret she didn't let me in on before. And that's, well, when she first moved out there, she thought jackalopes were real too. <laughs> Did, so the the thing that you just described between you and her had happened to her like except she was you yeah except it happened to her as an adult so yeah <laughs> so anyway i thought i thought though at this point like she's wrong i was like mm, jackalopes were real like maybe they're just extinct like dinosaurs <laughs> Aww. but i thought they were real so since then i've had this big love of jackalopes and that's why i'm going to buy you the t-shirt that says jackalope lives <laughs> jackalope lives that's actually a really good t-shirt um we should make that for the jackalope carnival merchandise store look for it soon folks the merch page someday we'll get there jackalopecarnival.com check it we out. will jackalopecarnival.com we don't have a merch page yet but we will <laughs> Maybe by the time you're listening to this, dear listener, we will. So it turns out that horn rabbits, such as the jackalope, do and don't exist. Schrodinger's jackalope. <laughs> Beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but that's the wonder of the jackalope. It's something real, but it's not real. And um, I think that makes it pretty special. And this is because... Scientifically, it's now believed that what appears as horns on the rabbits are actually tumors caused by the Shope papillomavirus. You're like, wait a minute, I thought you just said, so yes, what I saw was taxidermy, but throughout history that I'll talk about in just a second, people have seen horned rabbits. So what the Shope papillomavirus is, it's related to what in humans is the human papillomavirus or HPV. That virus causes tumors to grow on the head of a of the rabbit, and it's pretty unpleasant. And is this, is this a deadly virus for them? Is this something that'll kill them? It may. Um, if they get it in the mouth, they can't eat. So this is something that is not very pleasant for the rabbit. But what's really interesting about this is that Richard E. Shope, and that's who the virus is named after, Dr. Richard E. Shope, he was someone who worked with viruses, and along with his colleagues, he did some really groundbreaking work. And I highly recommend you um, do a web search for him because it's, it's really interesting. But in the 1930s in Iowa, when he was working under the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research, Shope had heard rumors of these horned rabbits nearby. So he's not thinking this is a real thing, but he's hearing mm. from people that there are these horned rabbits. And so he asks some hunters to bring him a specimen, and they do. So he tests it, and through his research, and through a colleague of his, well, so don't read Wikipedia on this because it says that Shope discovered this, but it was actually his colleague, Dr. Peyton Ruse, that actually found that viruses could cause cancer. But Shope and his colleagues were instrumental in finding out that viruses could cause cancers. And so it was through jackalopes that we realized this. Um, so that's pretty fascinating to me that jackalope, the legend of the jackalope, actually ends up being beneficial for humans. So this is the scientific version of the story. And while we like to talk about that once in a while, that's not what Jackalope not Carnival for. is all about. No, that's not what we're here for. There's legends, and we're going to get into that and because I'm going to finally get to use my one year of German from college. You know, I did not previously know that you had taken German in college. I did. I really loved it, but I could only take one year because I had to fit in other requirement classes. So there are legends of antlered rabbits and cultures all over the world, but Germany has some of my favorites. There's written evidence in other countries. Um, so there's written evidence dating to the 13th century in the Persian Empire showing a horned rabbit. 
but it's Europe, these European manuscripts that they found dating from the 16th and 17th century that feature them as being real. So you have this creature of legend, but in the 16th and 17th century, they end up in these manuscripts that catalog animals. So these catalogs have pictures of horned rabbits. And apparently at the end of the 18th century, scientists started to think, hmm, maybe these are fake. We have evidence that these were believed then not believed. Um, but also what's really interesting is that they weren't the only animals that were knocked off this list. Um, <laughs> scientists also took mountain gorillas, which we know now those are very real. They took them off that list. And, you know, yes. And if you think about it, what the uh, what people who are big fans of the idea that cryptos, the cryptids, uh, cryptozoologists, if you will, are real biological 100% you know animals that evolved here on earth just like every other animal um, you have the mountain gorilla you have the coelacanth you have the okapi you have these That's animals right. that that are that were assumed to be mythical that turned out to be 100% real yeah and the platypus because people thought that wasn't real too um, but they did they turned out to be very real animals uh, who knows? Uh, we're finding new animals all the time. I mean, every year you get a list of what new creatures they've found. Some of them hiding in plain sight, but I don't know. I feel like there's a who knows. While scientists declared the horn rabbit was not real, it didn't do much to damage the legend. We know that in the 19th century in Thuringia, Germany, that's when we first start seeing these taxidermied horned rabbits. Uh, they're called Rasselbach. In this region, they ended up, so in this region, they're called Rasselbach. They ended up doing the same thing that we're seeing in the 20th century in America. And that is they would taxidermy some rabbits, they would put some horns on them, and they would try to trick tourists. Um, and they would tell people like, oh, yeah, hey, welcome to our state, welcome to our region. They have these horned rabbits here, you can go hunt them. But if you look up jackalope, the first thing you're going to find is not Rasselbach. The first thing you're going to find is in a German creature in Bavaria called the Wolpertinger. There, that's my one year of German. You were you were <laughs> chucking Rasselbach around there like it was nothing too, though. Rasselbach, Wolpertinger. <laughs> Sounds like a beer I would buy in November, like a dark beer. They probably have them, to be honest. Someone's probably made them by now. Um, so the Wolpertinger is sometimes depicted similarly to jackalopes, but really I think that it's gonna be the 1509 painting Wolpertinger by Albrecht Dürer that's gonna be why. Because when you see other depictions of Wolpertinger, they don't actually look very much like jackalopes. But Albrecht Dürer's He's awesome, I love him. I love Albrecht Dürer, he's one of my favorite artists. Yeah, um, and we should try to work them into every episode, right, Albrecht Durer? I don't think that'll happen, but yes, I, we should. No, you just wait. Um, <laughs> he looked like he was, like, I don't know, I, I would have to say, like, he had this flowing hair, and he looked like a lost member of Led Zeppelin. Um, you could have taken him, put him in the 70s. Uh, but he was pretty badass, and he did this painting, and it has a rabbit with horns. But unlike the jackalope, the Wolpertinger also has wings. And I've seen other taxidermied or painted descriptions of depictions of the Wolpertinger where it looks like a duck or a weasel. So it's like a horned winged duck or a horned winged weasel. Winged so the only weasel. real specifics are that it's a mammal. Yeah, Albert Durer winged weasel experience is your band name. <laughs> that is so amazing. So that's what we should um, do every week. We should work in band names. I don't think band names should have winged weasel in them. But <laughs> 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 well how about okay any idea what Wolpertinger translates to i have no clue we did not go through that in my one year of german <laughs> um but if i would have known that it's pretty much like the only german i'd ever need to know i so might you're sitting in class on the first day and you're like excuse me professor Wolpertinger. what's the Wolpertinger? <laughs> right was ist Wolpertinger? <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, it's been a long time since I've taken German, folks. I apologize. So fortunately, if I ever take German again, now I know. Well, I can. I actually have friends in Germany, and so I should. I should uh, message Jason yeah. and ask him uh, if he knows what Wolpertinger means. 
you have German ancestry, isn't it in your blood? We this would require a uh, this would be in my yeah, well, I wish it worked that way. If this would require a Ouija board, as I think the last um, living native German speaking uh, member of my family would have lived um, sometime before the Washington administration. Hmm. Well, hmm, I think we'll get to Ouija boards eventually. So, um, like the taxidermied Rosselbach, our dom—that's another domestic- great band name, by the way. Taxidermied Rosselbach, anything Absolutely. taxidermied winged weasel. Ta- I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it was no. That was Albert Durer winged weasel experience. Oh, opening for taxidermied Rosselbach. All right, that could just be their first hit, number one hit, taxidermied Rosselbach. So we digress. So our di- we so we have the legendary jackalope. We have the scientific jackalope. But now we're going to get real specific about the jackalopes I saw. So the Western, the Western American jackalope is actually the creation of two brothers from Douglas, Wyoming, Ralph and Doug Herrick. Because they're in Wyoming, um, this makes sense that in eastern Idaho, I would have seen a lot of jackalope, jackalai. The official doctrine on jackalope is that Doug and Ralph came home after hunting, put a deer and a rabbit they had just killed next to each other, and Doug looked at it and decided to create taxidermy magic that's actually another good band name we should taxidermy them together is what doug thought i'm doing jazz hands for taxidermy magic you can't see them but i promise they're there checks out and so they sold this fine specimen of a jackalope to the local hotel proprietor and people loved it they sold like hotcakes. Everybody wanted one of these jackalopes and the Western legend was born. So from this comes all sorts of things about them. Like they can mimic cowboys singing or coyote calls. So you might hear a coyote, but it's really a jackalope. Um, you might hear a song about riding your horse on the trail. Could be a jackalope. Can I make this a confession? Is... You, yes. I'm so... afraid, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a bizarre thing. This is, yeah. this is such, uh, should I just keep going? This is such a railroad over this into the, the really weird mind of, of Eric. But uh, you know our theme song. Yes, I do. And you, it, it, you were the reason why you were the you were like it must have a uh, a theremin. Yes, I felt very strongly. And every week when I'm editing the show and I put the theme song in. In my mind, the theremin is every actually... week when you're editing a show we just started. <laughs> That's right. It's because I'm psychic. Every week when, uh, okay. I'm starting this over. Go. All right, five, four, three, two, one. And so they sold this fine specimen of a jackalope to a local hotel proprietor, and people loved it. Jackalopes sold like hotcakes. After that, and a Western legend was born. So from this comes all sorts of things that they say about jackalopes. The legend is they can mimic cowboys singing. They can sound like a coyote. They fight viciously. You don't want to get. You don't want to mess with the jackalope. No, but absolutely not. What time period are we talking here? So we're talking the 1930s. I left that out. <laughs> um, this is around the 1930s. So the jackalope itself seems to be fairly recent, as far as our legends go. Or maybe it's something that is universally in the human collective unconsciousness. It could be. That's right. And, you know, we have a lot of rabbits. So a lot of southeastern tribes, native tribes, have the rabbit as a trickster. So it makes sense that there'd be this trickster jackalope of legend. Maybe that's why I like it. So mine's pretty recent, but yours is even more recent relatively right although honestly the amount of space between jackalope and mothman is only three decades so it's not that long yeah but it's it's pretty new and what's going on with mothman we're talking about the other side of the mississippi a different rural area and that is we're talking about uh mothman the The creature we know as the mothman so I guess I should start off by telling folks what the Mothman is, just in case they're not familiar with this legendary creature. We're talking about a a creature that has reported to have large glowing red eyes is the kind of the most striking feature of Mothman. Slightly larger than a human. Uh, he has wings, although for people who know something about um, the physiology of flying animals... If he's truly the size of a human, if he's truly a, a bit big, um, his wings aren't aren't big enough 
for how, you know, how large he should be. So that leads us to believe that maybe something else is going on. But he certainly has these large glowing red eyes. Okay. Makes sense. Yes. Do not leave the porch light on. Or not the porch light, but don't leave your bug light on. Do you, do you remember bug lights? Is that still a thing? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, especially in the south where I currently reside. Yes. Yeah, actually, so... Yeah, total disclosure here i have family in west virginia and so in the summer we used to go and uh, my uncle would turn on the bug light and when large moths would hit that bug light holy cow they would fry um no they could have been like friends of the mothman you could have been incurring his wrath indeed indeed and you don't want but you certainly don't want mothman flying into that bug light holy no that would just be the worst ever but luckily that never happened and we have no report of this This that you know that you know (laughs) I feel like I feel like whole oh boy that would get reported. Yeah, okay. Given. So anyway, West Virginia. West Virginia is the right place, although a little bit different part of West Virginia than where I was. It was in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is in the southwest corner, and that's right in the border between West Virginia and Ohio. It's actually on the Ohio River. You can actually stand in Point Pleasant and look and see Ohio. In Point Pleasant, they've kind of embraced their moth maniness, and they have a Mothman Museum, which we'll moth talk about. Moth manliness. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Mothman has actually been spotted on both sides of the Ohio, believe it or not. He's been found uh, both in Ohio and West Virginia. Ah, uh, so he crosses borders. Mothman don't care about your borders. It, mean <laughs> it means nothing to Mothman. Nothing to Mothman. <laughs> So anyway, the thing is, is that Mothman, even though he's this scary creature, he hasn't actually had any reports of misbehavior for himself. He's not actually been uh, seen attacking or been heard to attack anyone or uh, even pets or things like that. But rather, um, you know, he scares the heck out of people. But actually, the thing about Mothman that is legit scary is that if he shows up, he could be a harbinger of really terrible things to come, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay. So when does this all happen? So when we see him. Yeah, in 1966 is kind of the first, uh, the first sighting of the Mothman proper. Although, can I tell you about this? Is so this is so absolutely random that it's not the first time we get a Mothman-like um, report in the United States. In 1880, on September 12th, in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the New York Times, the paper of record for the New York for New York City, quote: Many reputable persons saw a black-suited man with wings and a cruel and determined expression, and he flew huh. off to New Jersey. Huh. That makes me think there was a man who had a, a wingsuit. It was black wingsuit and jumped off the Eiffel Tower. I think in the early 1900s. To I see don't think fly. that story ends well, though. No, it does not, but I digress. Please, back to Mothman and Point Pleasant. (laughs) Back to Mothman. So in the modern Mothman, though, that story really begins in in, uh, 1966. And we start seeing the first um, sightings of what we'll call Mothman in um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So mid-20th century. um, Yeah, but he's really famous now. And that he, was he, he is. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with uh, Mothman went Hollywood on us. Oh, so Richard Gere. Richard That's Gere why we is know absolutely to blame here. Yes. Okay. Um, and I'm sure Kevin Bacon isn't too many degrees <laughs> separated from that, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> I get your. Anyway, the movie comes out in 2002. Okay. And. Actually, the, the movie is, is based on a book by a man named John Keel, and that book came out in 1975, so about nine years after the first sighting. Oh, yeah. I, you mentioned John Keel many times, and you mentioned that book. Yes. And, but Others. The, the, <laughs> Others. The book comes out, uh, and, you know, I guess it's got its following, including me. But um, honestly, he doesn't start getting really famous until the Richard Gere movie comes out in 2002. And then since that's happened, uh, he's become more famous. And I was doing uh, some research on Mothman. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, his his Wikipedia page is right now pretty extensive. <sighs> Wikipedia. <laughs> 
<laughs> Does he edit it himself? He might, as far as you know. <laughs> Actually, you can check the edits page and let me know. <laughs> He's like doing it like Mothman. But Good abs. No, I... <laughs> thick legs. <laughs> there you go with the thick legs again. <laughs> Stop flirting with the cryptids, Becca. All right. Anyway, I have a bunch of old, old books about cryptozoology, so I was actually looking it up there, too. And one of my favorite books of all time, it's currently actually sitting in my guest bathroom right now. I have but, seen it. I can attest to this. Yes, it is a <laughs> book that I, it's a book that is uh, similar to the one that my grandmother had. And she was, a, a uh, she loved the Reader's Digest. And Reader's Digest had a book on unexplained mysteries. And this was a book, it's about 250 pages hardbound. Um, and it only had like, each chapter had like a couple, you know, few dozen accounts of various weird stuff. But it was only like a paragraph or a paragraph or two. It had everything from Bermuda Triangle, Bigfoot, so forth and so on. Um, but when I was a kid and I'd go visit my grandparents in West Virginia, there's not a lot to do in West Virginia at night. Uh, so I would read this book. And, uh, you know, you don't want to go outside because, you know, Mothman will get you. Yeah, it's dark and scary. <laughs> and, yeah, it's dark. And I mean dark, like run into things dark. It's not city dark. It's country dark. You know, if it's a if it's a new moon, you know it. But I had this book and I love this book and I would sit down and read it. Um, so when I saw it on or I was searching it out online the other year or so and um, and I grabbed it. And yeah, the book from the 1970s is there. And there is only one mention of Mothman in it's not in the index. How dare they? <laughs> well, I think it just goes to show you, right? Like this is a book that's written. It's either contemporary too, or not much after, probably a few years after the John Keel book, I'm guessing. I'm mm -hmm. guessing this book came out probably in like 78 or 79. Check on the, the copyright because I don't know off the top of my head. So, the you know, Mothman sighting has already happened, but there's just one little minor mention of it in the Jersey Devil entry. And the Jersey Devil entry has, like, a picture and, like, a full page. It's not just Are they cousins? Is that why it's mentioned? They're... Absolutely. Sure. Um, they're both chimeric animals. Actually, Jackalope is, Ooh. too. <laughs> I know. I've been waiting to um, to be able to play the chimeric card. Did you like that? Yeah. Good job. A few points for that one. But anyway, so so Mothman is just a footnote, right? I mean, he's not even a footnote. He's just a he's like a one word mention in this book. And they, you know, they basically said, like, there was a creature called Mothman and they had to do a little explanation uh, because no one had ever heard of him. Um, there's like a whole chapter on Bigfoot and Yeti and things like that. But flat, fast forward from this and we get this book published and in the 21st century. There's another book, and it's a, actually a really good book, called The Monster Spotter's Guide. I highly suggest it. It's a lot of fun. And in that one, Mothman now has his own chapter. So between 1970 and the 2010s, Mothman gets upgraded to the point where he starts getting his own chapter in books, not just like a one-word mention and an explanation. He vaulted in popularity uh, from obscure to being something that's nationally recognized. Hmm. So he like really comes into his own is what you're saying. It seems so. Uh, the main sightings, though, if we take it back to the original accounts, though, get and let's get Richard Gere out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, yeah. I mean, in the 60s, if he's first spotted, the book's written so really far after it. So maybe they just didn't see him. We do have other accounts, though, of people spotting him not in the 60s. And the most famous one or infamous one is he was said to have been spotted outside of Chernobyl near Kiev in what is now the Ukraine. Huh. That kind of goes to the whole Harbinger of Doom thing, right? Because as many people might know, uh, Chernobyl was the site of a pretty terrible nuclear disaster that uh, hurt a lot of folks. Hmm. But Okay. Uh, Outside of kind of these uh, these sightings, though, most of the Mothman sightings were clustered in a little more than a year and a little, you know, inside this circle around Point Pleasant near um, Ohio and West Virginia, really. Oh, that is really interesting. Yeah. So, you know, whereas you have sightings of Bigfoot and, you know, so forth kind of all over the world, um, this one is kind of local in, to one area local. except for maybe chernobyl 
Right. You know, and these kind of, uh, you know, more I don't know, anomalous. Is that would that be the right word? I don't know. Huh. So, yes, the most of these sightings are around Point Pleasant. And like I said before, Point Pleasant has really embraced Mothman. And if you happen to ever go to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, you should go to the museum. It is worth your time. It's a wonderful little museum and a research center. Uh, and, you know, yeah. you would think that they have just like rubber masks and they do have that kind of thing. Um, but it's not just that. Like, it's kind I, of I'm really jealous, honestly. I'd love to get a chance to see the Mothman Museum and Research Center. It's really. Uh, they, they have primary sources there. They have original newspaper clippings from the era. Uh, they have affidavits and letters from the time. Uh, they have artifacts that you can look at. It, it really is something that you could spend a, a good amount of time in, and it's, it's certainly well worth your money. I strongly suggest it. Well, I'm really impressed that somebody kept those things. Like they knew that this was going to be a big deal and they decided to keep those artifacts. You know, newspaper clippings, you would think that ephemera is just going to be thrown out, but someone kept that and eventually they had a museum. That's really cool. It is. It is. Eric, tell me a little more about these Mothman sightings. Okay. Now I'm going outside of the John Keel book here because this is something that was, again, I told you, I already told you I peeked at the Mothman Wikipedia page and Wikipedia. So take that with a, extra grain of salt um, <laughs> is on November 2nd of 1966. A winged creature um, is spotted in Ohio. And so if that's true, um, Mothman's first sighting would not be in West Virginia. And that feels almost like blasphemy saying that. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I know, I know. John Keel does not say this though. Uh, John Keel, of whom I am a fan, I think we've already picked up on that. He states that the first people to um, cite the Mothman will be on November 15th of 1966. So Awesome. Yeah. And apparently there were these folks who were, um, you know, there were young folks who were driving around uh, for fun, just kind of chilling and yeah. driving. Yeah, just driving around like you did in the 60s. Or, yeah, I mean, I, you know... Sometimes, you know, when I'm, I'm in the mood, I'll just drive around in the dark. Why not? Um, but they ended up going to the old munitions factory. And that was a place where they used to make weapons during World War II. But by 1966, that was decommissioned. And it's still there. And actually, if you go to the Mothman Festival, um, which for plague gear has been canceled, but here's <laughs> hoping it will be soon as possible we're looking forward to the Mothman Festival showing up again. I would really like to do that someday. I haven't ever done that. Do you think, wouldn't it be cool if we did a, um, we did a live recording of uh, yes. Book Carnival? Yeah, from... I don't even need you to finish that sentence. Yes. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. Awesome. I was really hoping to go this year. Um, that was on my bucket kind of bucket list. But um, So, Eric, would you say then that November is Mothman season? Sure. Sure. We can make that. We can make that true. It's true. It's true right now. I think that we can make Mothman hot chocolate. And if we're all stuck inside, we can try to have a Mothman holiday. And I am so up for it. Mothman should actually be a national holiday. So this year, uh, hopefully I'm going to remember to celebrate on November 15th. That's right. That is Mothman Day. Love it. Yes. So now I didn't hear you mention this and i know we've talked about this before um so you and i say this with like okay eric but you (laughs) mentioned that mothman might have an interdimensional aspect that's john keel's take on it and from what i can take from reading mothman's prophecies and from the sequel to that book uh, that john keel wrote afterwards is that john keel's take on ufo phenomena and mothman and a couple other things is that these things aren't so much extraterrestrial as they are extra dimensional. Um, Mm. That there might be, well, actually in the 21st and 20th century, right? We have this, these theories that there might be more than one dimension. And what Keel says is what if these creatures can move between dimensions? And that was his take on it. Now the folks who saw it didn't say anything like that. They, you know, they just said, ah, yeah, as you would. <laughs> right. Um, yes. There's this monster so, coming at me. Perhaps it's interdimensional. No. <laughs> ah. a, excuse me. Are you interdimensional? Um, no, that's that's not what they did at all. Right. And so 
Yeah. On November 15th, you have two couples, the Scarberries and the Millettes, and they're out having a good time and just kind of, you know, driving around the middle of nowhere near where they live. And they look, and there's a six to seven foot tall man-like creature with his sturdy legs. Thick legs. No, that's terrifying, (laughs) though. (laughs) The legs are really important for reasons we'll get into, Becca. Okay. Stop making a joke out of my man's thick legs. Reasons. Okay. He's got these glowing red eyes. And bless you. Right. Yes. You know, they have the reaction, like you said, of, you know, uh, we're getting out of here. And they get in the car and they're driving away. And they're driving out of this munitions area. And the driver said that he was going about 100 miles per hour uh, to get out. And I believe that, right? I mean, you see, like, something that's really scary. (laughs) And, you know, you're driving at the kind of the top of your the mechanical, you know, ability of your car. But here's the weird thing. He looks out and Mothman was keeping up with his car. And he was doing so without flapping his wings. Hmm. And so these four folks, and this is what leads me to believe, you know, I, again, I'm not coming out to tell you to believe in Jackalope or don't believe in Jackalope or believe in Mothman or don't believe in Bothman. But these four folks didn't drive home and then later on tell people something. They go straight from the munitions factory to the police station. Uh, they're just completely freaked out. And the first thing they do is they want to talk to the police and tell them, you know, something really scary and possibly dangerous is out there. They tell them that it's in the old munitions area. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, I mentioned before, right, that you can actually tour the old TNT munitions area if you uh, No, go but I would Mothman. totally go to the TNT area. I mean, maybe during TNT the area. <laughs> <laughs> maybe during the daytime. But, hey, maybe you're, who knows? Maybe you're feeling adventurous. At the museum, they have a map that you can use and kind of go around there. Apparently, they've taken all the dangerous stuff out, so don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah. So, anyhow. So, you know, what really interests me here is that you said they gave a statement to the police and that they said that they were going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> so they, like, marched to the police They're station. implicating themselves, in, these... right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're implicating yeah. themselves. Yeah, that's right. I guess you can argue they're, they're putting some skin in the game. And, again, that's my argument. My argument isn't that their Mothman is real or not real. I, I literally don't know myself. But my argument is, is that there's something that scared the heck out of these folks. I mean, to the point where, like, they're willing to drive to the police station and <laughs> sign to something saying I drove 100 miles per hour. Yeah, they're the incriminating road. themselves. And, I mean, these aren't. Like, they're just regular people, and they're going up to the police, incriminating themselves. Like, they have, there's no reason for them to do this. Yes. Like, it it seems like if this was going to be a hoax to drum up tourism, like, they wouldn't have put themselves in a position where they could have easily gone to jail. So this is the 1960s, right? And so, I mean, nowadays we have we have our own online tribes where we can confess to, you know, seeing ghosts and, you know, uh, me and Chessie had a, a tea party and things like that. And, you know, you, the, your peeps will be cool with that. But in the 1960s in West Virginia, I'm not sure the key to popularity is going around telling everybody that you saw a monster outside of town. Yeah, I was thinking about this. um, And then when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about this dimensional shift always seems to happen like somewhere rural, because (laughs) you wouldn't have noticed it in a city. So like, in the 60s in San Francisco, they'd have been like, you do you, Mothman. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So He like, would have been in a drum circle. It. Right, exactly. He would have had a flower in his hair. Yeah, he's hanging out in San Francisco, getting in touch with his inner self. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is something where I think that makes sense, why you always hear of these in rural areas like West Virginia. Maybe um, so. Not- yeah. But Mothman gets sighted continuously for a while in 66 and for the next year, as a matter of fact. And that's that's what brings John Kill out to investigate, because that's his sort of thing. He wants to he's an he's an yeah. investigator, of paranormal phenomenon, UFOs and things like that. You know, I don't think I realized that until you just said that, because I, I guess I just thought he was reporting it. But he was actually investigating these things himself. He was. And he gets the help of a local journalist. A woman by the name of Mary Heyer, uh, who works for the local paper, uh, she becomes his co-contributor and partner. 
And she was doing this just as a part of her local work. Um, but she really gets into this and becomes one of the main chroniclers of the Mothman as well. And for the next year, they travel around just taking statements from people and they keep seeing it. Uh, but this is all going to come to a very tragic end in December of 1967. And the main bridge that connects Ohio to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, will just collapse. Unfortunately, oh. during rush hour. Uh, this is a bridge that was born that was built in the 1930s, and it was built for cars like the Model Ts. It was not built for these heavy, big uh, 1960s cars. And the population too. Right, so there was a people. lot more traffic, and it collapsed. Um, 46 people will die. Uh, cars are plummeting into the water. Two bodies are never recovered. It's a it's a huge tragedy. But after that. The Mothman sightings in that area pretty much dry. Not pretty much. They dry up. They stop happening. No one sees Mothman anymore. You had a solid year of activity prior to that. You have this tremendous tragedy. And, you know, safe to say probably the worst tragedy uh, to happen probably within 50 years of that. Right. Nothing, nothing like that had happened before. And I'm no, not that I'm not aware there. of since. No, it's tragic anywhere. But like a small place like that, it seems like a good bit of the population would have been affected. I'm sure everybody knew somebody who was affected if they didn't lose a loved one themselves. And that's just terrible. Uh, that's the end of the Mothman sightings. And you still have occasional sightings elsewhere. Like I said, the most famous one being in Chernobyl. That's not the only one. There's actually some more. If you ever get a chance to read John Keel's book, Mothman Prophecies, it's worth it because he does a good job of tying it to a few other phenomena. Did you know? Here's your trivia fact for the day. That the Mothman case in John Kill's book is the first mention of the men in black. Huh, I did not. John Kill was not the only person interviewing people in West Virginia um, in 1966 and 1967. Apparently. Apparently um, people were like, who are, you know, are you connected to those other guys? And Kill was like the other guys. And then he started chronicling that too. And that is fascinating. Yes. Really interesting. But usually men in black are, are tied to extraterrestrial creatures, whereas, you know, again, Kiel's, uh seems to be doubling down the idea it's an extra dimensional creature. Do Am I a believer in this kind of thing? I really don't know. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. Um, it's going to depend, you know, where's, I don't know, where's Mercury right now? Is it in retrograde? No. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. You know, there's a website for that, right? Yeah, I'm going to lose any hippie cred. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, like there's there's a Mercury is Mercury in is Mercury in retrograde website and you can it, it just it's simply a website that says yes or no. I will have to check that out. <laughs> you really should. So anyway. So, yeah, yeah, what is there something called the Mothman? Yeah, and it, who knows, right? I mean, nobody's sure, but I'll tell you this, the explanations that have been supplied so far, um they're not satisfying to me. I have to say that the two things that people hold up, this is what people actually saw and not Mothman. Um, neither one of them fit the bill for what especially the, the first sighting of Mothman uh, was supposed to be. And the two creatures are, of course, when you're talking about flying nocturnal things, the first suspect is going to be, of course, the owl. Okay. But the problem with owls is, is that, Owls don't really fly at 100 miles per hour. So that's, you know, a real problem. And the second thing is, is that the largest owl in North America, I mean, the longest is the great gray owl. The heaviest is the great horned owl. Neither one of those are anywhere near six feet um, in length. Mm -mm. I mean, I've led owl prowls and, you know, I've seen them at night. I've seen them up in trees. They're, you know. They're owls. They're, they're owls, right. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, a big bird can be alarming, but it looks like an owl. It's not an exotic animal. You know, you're not going to – it's not going to be something that you see and you're like, I don't know what that is and I'm going to make up a monster about it. The second creature that is often trotted out as being the likely suspect for Mothman is something called a sandhill crane, which is something that is a little closer to 
the six, seven foot. I mean, but they're not, they don't get that tall, but they're, they're taller birds. They're cranes, right? I mean, so, yeah. And I could look taller with a shadow. Sure. But here's the thing, right? I mean, if you look at the legs of a sandhill crane, they're not what Becca? They're not thick. They're not thick. <laughs> brawny. They're not brawny. <laughs> no. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the thick legs <laughs> of Mothman. Oh, Becca. Aren't we all? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah, a crane. Anyway. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Did you just get lost thinking about Mothman's thick legs? Anyway. Shut up. <laughs> <All right. laughs> anyway. No, but I mean, you know, the, the, you're not going to see a, a, again, you're not going to see a crane and think that it is a man sized or shaped thing. Right. And then furthermore, no, they have bird legs. They have bird legs. That's right. They're they're not going to um, also fly at 100 miles per hour. I mean, no bird is going to fly at 100 miles per hour without flapping on level ground. You have birds like falcons that can do it at a stoop, um, which are, Mm -hmm. you know, flying downward. But that's not the kind of thing we're talking about here. So. Yeah, and that's not going to happen, like, probably in a heavily wooded area at night in West Virginia, where you're getting, like, a 100-mile-an-hour falcon flying along next to you. Yeah, so these are really unsatisfying explanations for me. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I agree with you there. Yeah. So, yeah, this the moral of the story is go to West Virginia in 2021 and go to the Mothman Museum. Go check out Hillbilly Hot Dogs, which is a lot of fun. When I was there, there was something called the Mothman Diner. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I hope it is. There's a Mothman. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it, it's, it actually is a lot of fun. The Mothman uh, statue that is in the street between the two. I really, really, really do want a picture with that. That's like, again, bucket list. He's got ripped abs. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> you got to check that out. Yeah, I'm checking out Mothman. I think that's pretty obvious. Thick legs, ripped abs. How you doing, Mothman? Are you writing letters? Yeah, I am. I'm a fan. Anyway. <laughs> so there you uh. have it, folks. That's this week's installment of Jackalope Carnival. Um, yeah. And next week, we're actually going to talk about Ouija boards. So thanks for joining us. We hope that we haven't scared you off and you come back next week. Oh, right. two weeks. <laughs> Take care. Thanks very much. Jackalope Uh, um, uh, but the it the well, you just like I said, you just go. I'll just follow. Okay. I'm afraid of like saying something and then repeating myself. That is fascinating. Yes. Really interesting.